The reading is taken from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You should have an outline, and uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that, um, as we've been reminded this morning, we come together because of you, because of your enormous kindness and grace, because of your enormous plan uh, for this world and for the universe. And we ask you to expand our understanding, to expand our uh, commitment Lord, to expand our experience of your glory, um, specifically as we experience it together uh, as your people. So here we are, Lord. We do need your spirit to awaken in us. And uh, as we have even sing, sometimes we need to wake ourselves up and we need to give ourselves a talking to so that we will be able to respond and be able to listen and to be able to value what we hear. And so we pray, Lord, be very gracious to us as you're part of your people in this world so that we may indeed bring glory to you and that our own joy, Lord, may exceed and grow. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to do this just the next two weeks, uh, AGM is coming up, and so I thought what we will do is we'll look a little bit at the church, and uh, uh, what I want to do this morning is just to look at the community of the church. Uh, it's a... Uh, it's such an important thing. And next week, you will notice that you've got a very uh, interesting little picture at the back of your uh, service sheet. Uh, we will kind of, this is for those of you who can't read the Bible. Um, so you can just look at the picture and uh, have a look and see what you think of that. Because we are, next week, I want to look at the authority of the church, which is a bit of an interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, that uh, we are a community uh, in the name of Christ 
and there's a certain amount of authority and how those authority structures work so that we can um, help one another grow as God's people. So you don't look at the picture now. Turn back to the other side. Um, and then we can um, uh, have a look at this morning. I want to really just run through uh, part of what is actually in your ministry reports uh, for Crossword for this year. Um, and I want to just to remind you uh, in one sense and invite you and to mirror yourself again in what God is busy with and uh, what we are busy with. God invites us to join him on a mission for the world, a mission that starts with him and ends with him. It is something that uh, he is the author of and some thing that he is the finisher of. And he says, come, I want you guys to join me um, in this incredible adventure uh, that I am engaging in. And I've kind of just summarized, really, the article that I've already printed in the, in the service, but I just want to pick it up with you guys this morning. So right up front, if you turn to that passage that was read to us this morning, isn't it incredible that it actually states for us uh, the heart of the entire Bible's message is that God does not want anyone to be alone. Did you know that that's part of the great message of the Bible? God does not want anyone to be alone. So look at there at verse 3. How many times he says the same thing over and over so that we can get it. In Revelation chapter 21, as I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. You notice how many thems and theirs and God is in that one verse kind of jammed in. That God is after making a people for himself, a people that can literally fellowship with him for all eternity. That is his great plan. And you read that right from the word go in the Bible. So if you go back to Genesis and start in chapter 1, it actually tells us that God was there and the Spirit was there, and then God spoke. And as we read through the Bible, we get that thing fleshed out more and more and more. And one of the great things that we read in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, is that let us make man in our image. We are never designed to be alone. Because God in himself is a community. And that's what I captured in that first thing. God is not interested in community or even obsessed with community. God, rightly understood, is community. That's a weird statement, isn't it? So when you think of God, we tend not to think community. Is that my right? We tend to think powerful. We maybe tend to think holy. We maybe tend to think uh, strong. We maybe tend to think gracious. We may even tend to think love. Um, we don't seem to tend to think community. Allah, in the Quran, has got, I think, 86 different titles that describes his being and his nature. There is one that is not used of Allah. Can you guess which one it is? That is love. Did you know that? 
because he's a single entity. And love, per definition, requires someone else and something else to be in relationship with. The one thing that Allah has never described as is love. And in God's very being, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is love in and of itself. And the love they have for one another is perfectly earned. <laughs> There's no grace in the Trinity. Did you know that? Because it's never needed to have big graces to one another. They all perfectly exemplify love. Whatever the Father gives the Son, the Son gives back and the Spirit glorifies. There's no grace within the Trinity. Did you know that? It's a weird thought. Because the son is worthy of the father's love completely. He never needs to forgive the son for failing to live up to his standards. Neither the son ever has to forgive the father for not loving him with everything the father ever had. It's weird. There's no forgiveness within the Trinity. <laughs> they are the entity, the reality, that actually makes life tick. And so you find this unbelievable thing that God wants us to be part of that community. That is the most mind-blowing thing. God would make us as powerful as you think you are when you stand in front of the mirror without your shirt, and as wise as you think you are, isn't that unbelievably insane that God would actually want us to get into that relationship that he has with the Father and the Son and the Spirit has with one another. And that's the call of God. It's always been his plan right from the word go. And as you read through it, you see that's what exactly what Jesus says in John 17, one of those great prayers. He says, Father, I pray that they will be one as you and me are one. That's what I'm praying for. And I'm praying for everyone who believes in me that they will come together and experience that kind of relationship forever. I want them to be as one as you and me are with one another and the Spirit. That's the call. Come to me so that you may actually be part of this community that actually rules and oversees everything else in life. And so that's why you'll find thousands of calls. Did you know that there's hardly a verb of encouragement or command in the scriptures that is given in the singular? They are all plural verbs. Be holy, plural, not singular. Together, we must be holy. Be faithful, plural. Be kind, plural. Weird. You will hardly find any command in scriptures for a singular person. It is always community because God is a community. He can't think of himself in any other way. And he cannot think of us in any other way. And he wants us to grow up into this unity, into this incredible experience where we are together with him forever. And so Jesus says that. He says, I'm giving you a new command Love one another. No, that's not new. That was in the Old Testament, isn't it? But then he helps us. What he's saying. As I have loved you, love 
one another. As the Father has loved me and I have loved the Father, and I have given you the Father, so you must love one another. That's community-orientated, won't you think? And it's very difficult for us to think like that because we just don't think like that. We do really think of ourselves as individuals. And so the world don't have a problem with the word love. Actually, I was at the men's conference uh, yesterday, and one of the things that came up, he mentioned, uh, the speaker mentioned that the one attribute of God that the world is still prepared to engage with is the fact that God is love. They want to twist it and make it into whatever they want to make it. But there's the one aspect of God that is still on the agenda of the world. It's allowed, we're allowed to at least say God is love. But then he has got to be the kind of love that we have. And he took us through what the scriptures actually teach about the love of God, which is just absolutely mind-blowing. That God is calling us to understand ourselves in the light of who he is, not the other way around. And we have the tendency to want to create God in our image. And God says, no, I've actually made you in my image. And you are missing out by actually not understanding what I'm calling you to. And so the world will say generally, when we talk about love, how does the world understand the word love at its most basic level? What's the golden rule in the world? Don't do unto others that you don't want them to do unto you. Is that right? The basic understanding of the word love in the, in the world. I mean, you're allowed to do whatever you like, but as long as you don't hurt somebody. Same principle. Funny enough, the Bible in the Old Testament puts it the other way around. The Bible says, do unto others that you want them to do unto you. A little bit more difficult. Not, I mustn't do unto you that I don't like you doing to me. I have to do to you what I would love you to do for me. So I've got to be more proactive. But that's not what the Trinitarian love is all about either. The Trinitarian love goes one step up. <laughs> love one another as I have loved you, says Jesus. Not what you would like somebody to do for you, but what I have done for you. I have laid down my life for you. That's the measure by which Christian community is measured. Not that, hey, at least in this church we don't hurt one another. Or maybe we should like one another almost as, you know, if I want to be greeted, maybe I should greet you. No, 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 he goes way beyond that. The new commandment is love one another as I have loved you. I will come and seek you to find you. I will reach out to you to grab hold of you. I won't wait for you, I will come to you. It's amazing, isn't it? Just at that level. Just start to think about it. That what are we missing out as God's people by having another standard as the standard by which we live in this community? Love one another as Christ has loved you. I take it that a lot of time we need to spend just thinking through what that actually means. What does it actually look like in practice? How do we actually do that? It sounds magnificent. Don't you like it? You like the idea? Until you've thought about it. I cannot come with my agenda to this meeting. I have to come with Jesus' agenda to this meeting. 
I cannot expect you to do something for me. I come expecting to do something for you. I'm ready to fall over my feet for you. Really? <laughs> Hands up. Who, got to, who came to church this morning like that? <laughs> Love one another as I have loved you. That's the call, the mindset. There's the new reality. Stop living the way you normally do. I've got something much better in mind for you. I want you to share in the Trinitarian level of commitment and love. That's what I want for you. That's what I've invited you in. It's almost what Sean showed us this morning. You know, you can follow Jesus as, as getting his autograph. Or you can say to him, I, I, I'm sticking out with you. I'm going to walk in your shadow so that I may participate in your life. And he's calling all of those who believe in the Lord Jesus to come into that. And that really is also the purpose. So, I mean, the next verse, he says, after you've loved, he says, then when you love one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. And then later on, Jesus says in John 17, Father, I pray that everyone who believes in this message may become one as we are one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So here's the funny thing. How will we convince the world that Jesus has been sent? Everyone who follows him, follows him. <laughs> and specifically in this unbelievable church unity, this church love that we actually do for one another. That's how we know. If we don't, well, we shouldn't be surprised at the fact that the world says, like Gandhi said, isn't it? And he said, I've got no problem with Jesus. I just can't handle his followers. How do you respond to that? Do you want to excuse yourself for your lack of Christ? Or do you say, Gandhi, you know you're right. I have failed to live up to the calling that Jesus Christ has come to call me with. Gandhi, maybe you must come and walk with me and pinpoint every single mistake I make that you think Jesus wouldn't have done. Come and walk with me and show me. Is that the reaction of the church normally when it's criticized? We turn around and we say, yeah, but you. Interesting, isn't it? We should actually invite criticism. Listen carefully and say to ourselves very simply, is this behavior, this attitude, this word, this disengagement from those around me, does it look like Jesus Christ or not? I mean, there's the legitimate call. Love. The, the, the world has got the right to judge us by if we actually love as Jesus Christ is love. I mean, Jesus says it. We should invite that judgment. We shouldn't be opposed to it because we agree with it. Don't, don't you agree with it? Do you agree with the call of Jesus Christ that calls you and me into fellowship with him on the basis of how he's done it or not? I mean, that's the kind of decision I think we, we have to ask ourselves. Here's the incredible thing. We're coming up to the AGM. We are a church. We are the people who say we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We are the ones who say, look at us. We are his. And Jesus says, well, this is how they will know you are mine if you actually act towards one another in the way that I've acted towards you. Do you really think you were that nice when I came to save you? Were you holy? Were you perfect? Were you wonderful? Were you appreciative? Were you thankful? Were you always excited? See, there's heavy stuff, isn't it? God says, I am going to make a community of people like this. That's my call. That's my purpose. And that's why it's so incredible when we actually think about it. Unfortunately, the church is its own worst enemy. Because we do have different standards by which we judge. Jesus says, if you judge, you must judge, but you must judge righteously. And he gives us the standard by which we should judge. Love one another in the way that I have loved you. You don't cover up truth, you expose it. You bring it to light. Sin, you bring it to light. Bring it to light through forgiveness. Bring it to light through teaching. With bearing with one another. There's a whole host of things that he's done, isn't it? How has he loved the disciples? Get behind me, Satan, says to Peter. It's a bit shocking, isn't it? How did he love? It's not this mushy thing. It's actually very, very practical. And so here's the thing that I want you just to realize. It is impossible to speak of a person's spiritual maturity apart from looking at their involvement in Christian community and the gospel health of their relationships. This is one of the very weird things that we have to help one another with. If God is community and Christ has come to save us into community, it is an impossibility for you to say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I will not love my brothers and my sisters in the way that Jesus Christ has loved me. It is an impossibility. You have not heard the gospel. It has not grabbed all of your heart. It has not changed you. You may believe a whole lot of doctrine. You may agree with a whole lot of things. There is the reality. If there's no movement in you to find the light in the people of God, even though they irritate the living daylights out of you at times, you have to conclude you have not understood Jesus' call. You cannot judge yourself by another standard than what Jesus Christ has judged. This is how you will know how will you know? You love one another as I have loved you. So I take it there's an, there's an almost a wonderful, exciting, maybe frustrating bit that I have with myself all the time. Can I love you more? Hands up who you think if I can love you more. Of course. I know I don't love you like Christ. There's no way that I, I mean, no, you're not that nice. But that's what Jesus calls me to. So Jesus, forgive me for not loving this congregation as you have loved me. How dare I think, because I don't like your face. Why I don't like your doctrine? I've got any reason not to love you like Christ has loved you. Where do I get the, where do I get the different standard from? I will not associate with you Jesus came all the way from heaven to associate with me. 
come and walk right next to me. And I say, I don't want to talk to you. You will not correct me. You will not encourage me. You will not criticize me. And it's weird, isn't it? The implications is huge, isn't it? And so we've tried to capture it in that normal paragraph, and I'm not going to expound the whole thing. But these things are like a, like a tsunami. It kind of builds, and then it starts to run right through. That the church is both the proclaimers of the gospel, but the church is also to be the goal of the gospel. The church forms as the gospel goes out, as people hear the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why please do not invite people to church. Please invite them to Jesus Christ. Because when you come to Christ, He builds His church. Churches don't build churches. The gospel builds the church. And I can say that again. Do not invite a non-Christian to church. Invite a non-Christian to Jesus. And if your life is so amazing that he looks at you and he says, now why do you know these things? And you say, hey, come. We've got this funny gathering on a Sunday morning where everybody sits uncomfortably and we sing a couple of songs and we listen to the wonder of what God is doing. Come and have a look at how we grow into being the kind of people that looks something like Jesus Christ. Isn't it? Churches doesn't build Christians. They build churchianity. Jesus builds churches that looks like him. Very important for us. We've got to, maybe we've got to change a whole lot of our expectations and understandings. And that's why we are here this morning, because that's what we're trying to do. I'm trying to convince you. You may not be convinced. You might disagree with me. Fantastic. Then we can correct one another. But that's important, isn't it? That in one sense, the church is the good news for the world. That sounds like blasphemous, doesn't it? Not according to Jesus. If you love one another, the world will know that I've come. He's given us to be the good news for the world, both in word and in deed. That's a huge calling, isn't it? Amazing. Well, God would entrust us with this enormity, and He says, Come. In the name of Christ. And so here are the kind of signs. Here are the kind of things that we are growing into. And the first one is almost the most important one. And all the rest are really just kind of flowing out of that. We're a community that worships. What do you stand in awe of? Who do you stand in awe of? Jesus Christ. Do you worship him? He has come to love me. I don't know how well you know yourself. The little bit that I do know about myself, I am not very pleased with. Are you pleased with yourself? Yet he came to die for me. Now any person that could love me like that, I think he's much greater than I am. And I worship him. I stand all of him. I cannot imagine why he would do it for me. If I take how many times I've disappointed him, how many times I've turned away, how many times I've stepped on his people, how many times I've dismissed people, and yet he's come to die for me, then I think he's the greatest there is. 
I need to come together and see him again. Somebody must have got to lift him up for me again. See, can you see what he looks like? Can you see his grace, his truth, his kindness, his glory, his splendor, his mercy, his truth? Look at him. Worship him. I want to be like you. I want to hang in your... I mean, that's what we do as church, isn't it? We keep on pointing to him. You see, and I think that's part of the problem we have as Christians. We keep on comparing ourselves with one another. If we do that, we are doomed. We are comparing one another to Jesus, but starting with ourselves. You know what Jesus says? Don't judge, and that's the most favorite, misquoted verse in the Bible. And then he goes on, he says, pluck out the plank out of your eyes so that you can help your brother with his splinter. So in one sense, I take it the Bible is kind of humorous. Every single sin in your life is a plank, and every single sin in somebody else's life is a bit of sawdust. Get some perspective. But it doesn't mean don't get involved. It means get involved with the right attitude. So that you may help them. So that you may bring them to Christ. That's the goal, isn't it? So we don't compare one another to one another. I mean, that's going to be a nightmare. We always compare one another to Jesus Christ. We lift him up. We worship him. He is the one we worship. So that means we can do all of the rest of the stuff. We can accept one another, even though none of us are even close to him. Isn't it? Because that's how he came to love us. He came to accept us when we weren't like him. Come. Come. Accept one another. Then we can actually work towards holiness, because that's what Jesus said. If you want to follow me, I'm going to the perfection of my Father. So you are not welcome to come and to stay like you are. You are welcome to come based on my grace, but my grace is going to work you over until you are holy like I am holy. Holy just means completely given over and surrendered to God. That's what it means. To be like Christ. So when I call you, you see, when you join a church, you must remember what you're joining. You are saying, I know Jesus Christ is the only one who can save me, and I need all these other people to keep on reminding me that he's the only one, and they are allowed to tell me when I'm not like him so that I can become like him. Did you know that that's why you signed up? And I am going in grace and humility and pulling out planks out of my eye all the time, come along and help the sawdust out of somebody else's eye so that we can see and glory and become like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are doing truth-telling. That's one thing that the church is commanded. Speak the truth in love. Bonifer made a brilliant quote. He says, There is no kindness more cruel than the kindness that leaves a person in their sin and their error. I quote it again. There is no kindness as cruel as the kindness that will leave someone in their sin and their error. Think about it. The cruelest thing you can do is to say, it's got nothing to do with me. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not worried about how they live. It's their issue. They can do what they like. Then you're cruel. It's weird. I will think that's kindness, but that's actually cruelty. 
And so we are coming to build one another up. Again, there's the word. None of us are there. We're building one another up. We are encouraging one another to grow up. More and more is the kind of call that we find. And we are doing it sacrificially and generously in a giving community, and we are prepared to suffer. Bearing with one another. So the implications, just very shortly. The development of this kind of community life requires significant face-to-face gospel relationships. If you want to be frustrated as a Christian, come to a Sunday service. And think that is what it means to belong to the church of God. I guarantee you will be frustrated. It takes significant face-to-face relationships to be built up into Christ-likeness. I just want you to turn quickly to Colossians chapter 3. Just a very short look. Very interesting verse. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9. He just told us that as a Christian, we have been saved, we've been raised with Christ, we are seated with Him in the heavens, our life is hidden in Christ, in God, and when Christ comes again, we will be revealed in glory. And the implications of that is, is talking about holiness. Now look at verse 9, suddenly. Do not lie to each other. So every time a Christian does not aim and encourage other Christians to become what they are in Christ Jesus, they are lying to each other. That's weird, eh? Stop lying. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to Jesus. Stop lying. You cannot live like you want to live anymore. Live like Christ. Stop lying to yourself. It's weird, isn't it? It's the other way around. We tend to think people lie the other way around. They claim to be Christian when they're not. Here he says, stop lying. You are a Christian. Now get on with it. It's weird, isn't it? Because in verse 11 he says, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, stichthian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. When you, when you walk into this gathering on a Sunday morning, when you come to a Bible study group, when you ever two or three Christians gather, do you know that it doesn't matter who you are? The only thing that matters is Jesus Christ is Lord and all. It's weird. You now judge things completely different from how you would normally judge things. Stop lying. There's only one Lord, and it's all about Him. Kind of a mindset change that we have to undergo when we think of the church. Stop lying. If you are in Christ, you don't belong to yourself. You don't have a right to live and think the way you want to. You have given over that right to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His church. And now look at what He says, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, plural, 
with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's again the standard. And of all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. You are supposed to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. You know the difference? You're not a peacekeeping force. You're a peacemaking force. You don't stand there with your army clothes with no gun. You stand there with your army clothes with a gun. And you say, hey, that lifestyle is not in line with the rule of peace that Jesus Christ has brought about. Let's change. See how interesting it is. So we should expect conflict in church. Because we are working towards the peace that we find only in Jesus Christ. We have to forgive one another. We're going to have to do that a lot of times. And compassion and kindness and all sorts of things. So there's the first thing. You've got to have face-to-face relationships. You have to allow another Christian to reflect back to you what they see in your life. And if that is in line with the Lord Jesus Christ. Face-to-face. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. He calls you into fellowship with him. He makes the rules. Let his peace rule here. Because you're all part of one body. You don't belong to yourself. (laughs) You belong to him. And he has given it to each of us. And we'll look at that next week a little bit more. How we are to shape one another into that reality. And then very, you all know my verse by now. Verse 16 of chapter 3. Each person must see himself as a minister. Churches don't grow because ministers preach good sermons. Well, Crossword is evidence of that. Joke. I don't preach good sermons and you don't actually teach one another. Maybe that's why Crossword is battling. Who are you teaching and admonishing with all wisdom into Christ-likeness. If you're a Christian, you've signed up to start to teach and admonish someone else to grow with you into Christ-likeness. That's what it means to be a disciple. Follow me, I make disciples. How do I know I follow Jesus? I make disciples. That's how it works, isn't it? That's what is so important. God wants you, if you don't teach and admonish one another, you are robbing his church of the fellowship of what it means to be in the image of the triune God. If you don't encourage others, sit next to them, help them, understand You are robbing the church of your calling to be the people of God. Fascinating, isn't it? That's why he's called us 
so that we will be together equal, teaching and encouraging one another into Christ-likeness. Are we going to fail? Of course we're going to fail. And then what we do is, well, we do the first thing. We forgive as he's forgiven us. And we learn from it. That's how we do it. Each one is a minister of the gospel. The priesthood of all believers, one of the great doctrines that the Reformation recaptured. Please do not rob the church of your insight into the Lord Jesus Christ by keeping it to yourself. Please love enough to reach out and teach and admonish one another into Christ-likeness. You are going to step on your own feet, maybe, and some other people's feet. It's all right. Therefore, we grow together. And how long should we do this? I take it verse 17 is a kind of a, a nice angle on it. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When will we be done encouraging one another? When will we be done being peacemakers? Well, when every single word and every single deed that you and me do, we only do for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are going to get busy, isn't it? Isn't that glorious? God wants you to be able to do every single thing you do for his glory. So that every single word that comes out of your mouth will be to his glory. Will be a reflection of the love that the Father and the Son and the Spirit has for one another. That's what he's after. So there's a lot of work, isn't it? But it's exciting. Because he is the one who has started it. And he says, I am the Alpha, I'm the beginner, and I'm the end of it. It starts with me, it happens through me, and it happens to me. Join me in being my community. Let's pray together. Father, when we read your word like this, it, is, it really does sound, it's a little bit crazy and beyond us. And we don't really, really look at one another in this light. We hear it and we even agree with it and we kind of give it a, a nod. Father, we are sorry that we are missing out and that we are, in that sense, disobedient to the call that you've given us and that is to be your people. Thank you that you've given each one of us your spirit. Thank you that you've given each one of us the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you've given yourself to each one of us so that as we grow together, as we actually worship your son, the one through whom you have revealed yourself, the one that we can see in your word, that you are drawing us more and more into the image of yourself, more and more into this Trinitarian level of relationship that you and the Son and the Spirit has for all eternity. Father, we, we marvel before you. We are so thankful that you've given this to us. We are also very aware that we have habits and thoughts and ideas that clash with what you are saying. And so we thank you that we could experience even a little bit of that today. And won't you help us to respond to you 
and to help each one another to always respond to you because that's how we actually get closer and closer to you. So that we may walk as you have walked. That we may love as you have loved. So Father, today is an opportunity for us to love as you have loved us. And we only can do that because you've loved us first. So, Father, thank you that every time when I don't love, I have forgotten that you've loved me first. I've had another standard, another agenda that actually drives me in that moment than the agenda that I have been loved by you for all eternity. Something else has captured me. Something else drives me. Something else motivates me than you. For you have loved us in your Son. And your command is, is that we should love one another as you have loved us. So Lord, we really need to grow into your love for us. To such an extent that we will stop excusing ourselves or stop being overwhelmed, but actually be overwhelmed by your love. Not overwhelmed by our sin and the other people's sin around us. So here we are, Lord. Be merciful to us as your people. Yeah, at Crosswood, but across the world, Lord, we know that your church is really, really battling to exemplify you even in the least. Father, we are sorry that we are the reason the world looks at Christianity and blasphemes your name. For we really don't always believe that we are all to love one another as you have loved us. In practice, in moment-by-moment moment need. So, Lord, here we are. We, we are sorry. Please forgive us. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Make that our greatest satisfaction. So that we will somehow, even though it's awkward and even though it's new, we may literally be able to reach out to one another as you have reached out to us. Touch us again, Lord, so that we may touch one another in your name. Build us up, Lord, so that we may build up one another. Correct us so that we may correct one another. Rebuke us so that we may rebuke one another. Teach us so that we may teach one another. Train us in righteousness so that we may train one another in righteousness. Lord, you've called us into fellowship with yourself to be like you and to spend eternity with you. We bow before you and we ask that you will do a, a work of grace in us. Again and afresh, help us to see the glory of Christ and that that will be our only concern is to imitate him. And we pray this in your name. Amen.